1: If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code truth to save some money and download it today. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth or Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 307. Today, we are diving into finding October success in the Big Woods with Dylan Pavlik. So, stay tuned.
0: All right, all right, all right.
1: What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is here. Scrape Week is upon us. One of the best times of year to kill immature deer, a big deer, is is this week. Um, unfortunately, man, it looks like, I haven't looked at the, fore- actually, I just got home. I was up in the North piece, and so I didn't have cell service up there, and I haven't looked at, to see what the forecast for this week is going to be. I know when I looked last week, it looked pretty crummy, like it was going to be warm and, uh, in rainy, uh, for a large part of the week, but I haven't checked the update to see what that is, which really kind of, kind of bums me out. Um, but we'll just kind of get to it, give you two quick updates, uh, on my hunts the past, you know, week or so. So that 18th, I always kind of talk about that time frame, like 16th to the 20th, you know, ish around there, you know, roughly, um, is my favorite time to hunt, um, by, uh, like far and away, or at least my favorite time to hunt in, in Pennsylvania. Cause I'm usually gone during, you know, part of, uh, November. And I usually don't get to get out in that, you know, first week of November. Cause I'm usually, you know, traveling somewhere, but I've kind of found some gem spots where they turn on around those kind of specific dates that I kind of look for. And because I'm, I'm a working guy, like everybody else, you know, I try to prioritize if I'm going to take a day off or take maybe a morning and go hunt. I try to do it around those, uh, around those dates, um, and try to maximize my time and just have a strategic strike and try to you know, carve a deer out of the woods, if you if you will. And so um cold front came in uh last week, uh I think it was last week, yeah, around the eighteenth, or yeah, I think the first day of the cold front was the eighteenth. And uh Monday it was all kind of rainy and stuff. So I ended up taking Tuesday off, which was the front uh the very first day of that cold front, and got it slipped into a place that I've had an encounter last year. You guys probably heard me talk about it to this point that I should have killed that deer and just didn't draw my bow in time and, and got hung out to dry. And so I got in there, um, again this year on that same date, cause I had a just good enough wind where it was almost not right for me. Um, but it would be great for the deer. Um, and so it's one of those kind of risky winds, which usually, you know, typically when I hunt those types of winds in, in, in areas, you know, those are usually the days where I have the best in, um, uh, encounters. And so it's kind of a, a make or break. It's either going to really work out well for me or it's not going to work out at all. And, um, uh, my, my plan was for this to be an all day sit. And so long story short, which I'll probably talk about it with, with another buddy at some point and get further into the details, but slipped in there, had a, a shooter buck or had a small buck come in first thing in the morning, uh, around eight, eight o'clock or so. Um, and then had a shooter come in probably around eight 30 and then he kind of ran off, um, kind of not hauling ass, but he was getting out of there. And it was kind of weird because he didn't smell me. didn't see me. didn't hear me. He just kind of was hanging out about 40 yards away. There's no shot. And he just kind of turned around and he was in the brush and just kind of left. But when he left, he left, like he was like, I'm out of here. And so I was sitting, you know, the, the rest of the afternoon or the rest of the morning, didn't see anything. And I just happened to look through like this brush and was like, man, it looks like an antler. Now I don't pick out antlers very well. If you know me at all, uh, I, I'm, am terrible at shed hunting. Um, and so I don't pick antlers out of the, uh, uh, terrain or through brush very easily or very well. And, um, and so I was like, ah, it's probably not an antler. And so it's through all this mess of brush and I was like, ah, I should probably put the glass on it just to make sure. And so I threw the glass on it and sure enough, there was a buck that was bedded like 40 yards away from me. So I think what happened was that, first shooter i saw was in there messing around around 8 30 or so i think that shooter the second buck came in and ran him off and then that buck bedded down i didn't see him till like uh, i think it was 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or something like that and then once i saw him i watched him for an hour um, bedded there he got up and moved i thought he was going to come to me and then i lost him i couldn't see him and then he disappeared and then I heard him sneeze or cough. So I knew he was in the same general area. And I didn't think he would go very far because it was the middle of the day. And that's where he was going to bed for the day. And um, I heard him. And then about 15 minutes later, I heard him sneeze or whatever it was, cough uh, again. And then 15 minutes after that, I saw him stand up and just kind of meander around. And, um, you know, he never made a turn like he was going like to turn toward me. He just kind of walked walked out of my life and so that's (laughs) two years in a row in the same spot where I've had a shooter that just kind of that I had to watch just walk away this one was because he just he was about he was 40 yards away but just so much stuff between he and I there was never a shot opportunity you know there was only once where I picked my bow up it was the first time he got up from being bedded uh because he stood up and looked straight at me and he was pointed like he was going to walk toward me so I had to glass on him with one hand and a bone another hand and the other hand and was just kind of waiting to see what movie he was going to make. And, you know, at the end of the day, like what he ended up doing when he stood up and I lost him, he actually just walked behind the brush a little bit. I spent probably 15 minutes glassing all that brush trying to see if I could just see something move to pick up where it was at again and just nothing. And then uh, and then I, I started, you know, just scanning around like you would do while you hunt. And then it's at some point while I was scanning and not looking over to my west, he slipped back through and right down exactly where he was previously. Only now his head was the opposite direction and his ass was where I would have seen the antlers. It's the only spot I could see. So it wasn't like I could see the rest of his body. Cause when I spotted him the first time, the only thing I could see was like his ear and one side of his antlers. And then every so often he would pick his head up while he was sleeping, he would turn his head from side to side and I could see both sides. Great deer, uh, awesome mass, um, shooter all day. Got a good look at his front. Like when he stood up, big brisket. Um, you know, big chest. So he was a big deer, mature deer, uh, bummed out that I didn't get a shot opportunity, but super cool, um, super cool hunt, you know, just to kind of watch him do, do mature buck things. It was super cool just to kind of observe and take notes. And one thing, you know, the reason he got up and moved and shifted around was because the wind shifted at that point. And so he was just kind of making his adjustment uh, to be set up, you know, optimally for the wind that we had you know in that in that particular area uh, it was just a slight wind shift and it made me think while I was sitting there I was like man why did he get up and move all of a sudden And then about that time I recognized I was like oh man my wind shifted so I checked my wind I was still good but he just needed to, to change position so he was looking in the right direction so super cool hunt but uh and then the north piece saw one buck checked cameras a couple good deer on cameras um but not a whole lot of action. I spent a lot of time just checking cameras and scouting yesterday and then finally set up in this little scrape area in the afternoon and had uh, a young deer walk through. I ended up hunting on the ground because it was so thick. Um, Can't get a shot off if you're in a tree in that area and I wanted to be in the business. I didn't want to be like on the outskirts of it and so I got right up in the thick stuff and uh, had a young buck walk, you know, maybe 15 yards from me, um, right probably around, 6.15, 6:15, so right before uh, sunset. Uh, so it was a cool hunt. You know, it was a good weekend overall. Got to get the travel trailer out and and break. You know, knock the old rust off the old girl before we set sail for Kansas here in a uh, in a few weeks. But uh, we're gonna go ahead and get jumped into today's show. But before I do that, got some stuff to share with you guys from our buddies over at Exodus. Um, you know, if you, I'm sure everyone kind of waits for Black Friday to kind of come along uh, to have some savings. It, you know, but unfortunately for hunting you know, for us bow hunters and stuff, that doesn't come along quick or soon enough to actually help us during the time uh, time of year where we might need to get some new gear or or update a piece of gear or get something that broke or whatever the case is. So that's why Exodus has decided to run a very limited sale uh, to help us right now during the the course of the actual season. So starting right now, save 27% on any render bundle by using the code RUT27, R-U-T, Two, seven. This is the biggest savings Exodus has ever offered on the industry-leading render, and they don't anticipate it to last long. In case you're not familiar with the product line, the Exodus Render is their Verizon 4G LTE camera that works with any connected device and provides some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. On top of that, it's about as user-friendly as it gets and comes with the Exodus Advantage. If you don't know about the ex- Exodus Advantage, which I'd find it hard-pressed that you don't if you listen to this show, but let me tell you these three things. Five-year warranty, no BS warranty, and five-year theft and damage coverage and best-in-class customer service. Now's the time to experience the Exodus Render and get an edge for this season's rut. Do yourself a favor, and start running the most dependable cell camera on the market and use the code RUT27 to save up to $140 on select bundles. Head over to ExcessOutdoorGear.com and support them and this show by using the code RUT27 at checkout. Awesome. So with that, guys, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. Got uh, a good buddy on from, he's also a fellow, a fellow PA guy, Dylan Pavlik. He is from Western PA and is a big woods hunter. And he's actually, the past two years, he's kind of, I want to want to say crack the code but he's found a method that's worked really well for him the past two years to actually tag out in october with uh hammer deer um in in the big woods and so if you hunt if you've ever hunted big woods or if you're a big woods hunter you know you know getting on deer patterning deer can be a challenge just in in general you to find them in in, in general to kill them during the rut is challenging they're, they're hard to hunt just generally speaking but if you found a way to consistently do it during the early part of October, you really know those woods, you really know those deer, and you really know what they want to do. And that's exactly kind of what D- uh, Dylan has uh, figured out over the course of the past uh, couple of years. So he killed an awesome deer this year. We hear about that hunt, but more so, you know, we hear about his approach to how he has gotten himself to the point to where he can um, expect to find that early season su- success year over year. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I've got on a Pennsylvania brother who laid down an early season slob. And I'm talking to my my new buddy, Dylan. I'm going to say your last name, man, and I might get it wrong. So uh, Pavlik, is that right? Pavlik. Pavlik. Damn it, man. I always always try to get these things right, dude. It's like and I end up butchering like people's names all all the freaking time. Greg Litzinger actually gets on me about that because I'll do a podcast where we do. like listener Q and a, and people will write in and I'm like the worst at pronouncing, pronouncing names. It sounds like someone who isn't from this country, pronouncing people's names. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. That's close enough. That's right. That's right. I'll get a, I'll get a, uh, an a for effort maybe on that one. But, uh, how's it going, man? You. What you, what you, uh, what you been up to doing awesome, man.
2: Uh, just, just got home from work, uh, tagged out here early season, uh, once again, so. Yeah. Uh pretty excited about that, and uh, looking uh, looking to move on to some other states here now that I'm I'm tagged out in Pennsylvania.
1: Nice, that's awesome. I know you do some uh, basketball coaching, man. Too how are uh, how you looking? Are you uh are are you feeling like the uh, Golden State Warriors or, or where are we at with that?
2: Well, I don't know. Actually, uh, we got we got our tryouts here tonight for the travel boys for the fifth graders. So, OK, we we'll, uh we'll see. We'll see what it uh, what happens here this season. But we've uh, we've been me and another guy have been doing uh, open gyms for the boys like all summer long. So nice. They're really starting to show some improvement and whatnot. So I'm anxious for a pretty good season this year.
1: So. Nice, man. It's that age range, like just kids like so. My daughter does. We do jujitsu at the same gym. And it's just, it, it's crazy watching kids when they get immersed in a new activity, regardless of whether it's sport or oh, yeah. music or whatever it is, they just, if they jump in with both feet, man, it's just like, you can see the improvements almost on a daily basis that they get better yep. at it. It's, yeah. it's crazy. And then you think about us old guys. And I'm like, if someone tried to teach me how to tie my shoes differently than the way I've been doing it for 40 years, I would have a conniption. <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? Yeah.
2: my daughter. My daughter's at uh, her her first day of uh, gymnastics today, and my wife texted me, and she's just having an absolute blast. So
1: nice. Now, did you yeah, play? Really, play basketball cool stuff. Did you play basketball growing up?
2: Yes, I did. I did? I played basketball since I was a little kid. And okay. I was the captain junior and senior year of our high school team. We had a really good team. Nice. Um, and then I played. I played one year of college, and then uh, I ended up deciding to get into the trades. And, okay. Uh, Yeah. So I'm actually, uh, I'm actually an electrician. That's what my, my full time job is.
1: Okay. Nice. So you can, so you can hoop. So you're not just like a dad that's, oh, yeah. Like that's helping. Yeah.
2: I, you know, I'm not quite in as good a shape as I used to be. I'm only (laughs) five foot nine, but I could dunk a basketball two hands.
1: So, oh, man, dude. That's, Uh, yeah.
2: That's some serious, that's some serious hops. Yeah. White men can jump.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) So now I wrestled all growing up. Um, and but one of my like loves and i love telling this story was my cousin and i lived close to each other and every summer we basically spent because we lived out in the middle of nowhere in you know uh, mm-hmm. kind of central pa and we didn't live far from each other but our grandmother lived kind of in town and like it was a town of like 900 people as much of a town as that might be and there was a <laughs> church there that had a that had a hoop so he and i would go in basically all summer long we would spend out of seven days of the week you know, before we were both working and even when we started working, I mean, we would be at our grandmother's house probably like f- f- at least five days a week. And we would often just sleep there and stay overnight there. Like our grandmother was <laughs> the coolest. Um, And uh, and so we would always go down and our other friend lived in, in the town. And so we'd always meet up and go down to this, uh, the one church that had a hoop. And then there was another kid that behind this other church had a hoop and he was on the basketball team. So he and his friends would play basketball there during the summer and you know usually we wouldn't be there at the, at the uh at the same time and so we basically just played street ball you know what i mean like we weren't <laughs> none of us played like on a on a functional team you know but my my cousin was big like for our age like he was probably when we were sophomores he was probably like 6 foot and probably like 210 215 just like a big kid wow. you know what i mean like just a big, a big dude yeah and my, my other f- friend, Dustin and I, like we were both smaller, but had handle, you know what I mean? And we're quick. Yep. And so we would just basically go down there and, you know, and, and shoot hoops and play with whoever would, would show up and whatever. And so the one day we get there and I promise everyone listening, we'll get to deer hunting here in a second, but this is my <laughs> living, live my, my glory days here for my one great basketball <laughs> output. So we would, uh, we would always pretty good and like in gym and people hated playing us because we had played s- together so much during summers that where it's like we actually had like little design plays that we would draw up or whatever you know between the three of mm-hmm. us and uh so this one summer we were down playing and um this kid who 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 put the hoop up behind his house there by the church he and his buddies showed up and they were all starters from the basketball team there's like three of them showed up and they showed up and they were going to play and so we we're like hey this is your hoop you know we'll we'll take off we'll go up to the other church and play not a big deal and they're like no 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 you guys can stay and we're like no man it's your hoop it's not a big deal you know we'll, we'll split and he's like, no, we'll play you for it. And we were like, okay. And so uh, yeah. they played us for it and we just freaking smoked them. <laughs> and then they and then they kicked us off their court. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It was that's h- great. It was hilarious. They had no, like, we would be, like, I would drive to the hoop behind the back pass to my cousin who would just, like, be right under the hoop and they just couldn't stop him because he was big. He was the big dude. Now, he didn't have hops, so he wasn't dunking. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was kind of like, Shaq Diesel back in that era, you know, if, if nice. Shaq Diesel was a six foot, six foot one, 220 pound white dude from this, uh, from the sticks of Pennsylvania. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if, if you, if you need a little help coaching, I could maybe give you some, give you some advice. no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. So you mentioned you're, you're, uh, an electrician, man. Were you, uh, just so people out there listening, know a little bit about, you know, where you're from and stuff, where, uh, where'd you grow up?
2: Yeah. So, uh, grew up in Western Pennsylvania, been out in this area my whole life. And, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm a union electrician out of local five Pittsburgh PA. Okay. Um, I'm, uh, I'm married. I have two kids. I have a 10 year old son and a four year old daughter and, uh, they're both into sports and everything. My, my son's really into hunting and, my my daughter she uh she talks about how she's going to shoot a big buck here in the next couple of years so
0: there you go uh
2: seems like seems like my kids are going to carry on the tradition here so
1: that's
0: so awesome. we'll see
2: how that goes that's but all- uh yeah Yo, go ahead Clint
1: no go ahead go ahead
2: i i uh you know i've been uh been hunting since i was a young kid uh you know my dad he's just a typical pennsylvania guy you know first day of uh rifle hunter You know got with his buddies and and hunt deer and uh you know he he saw me growing interest in it and we lived in a neighborhood with a lot of my dad's buddies that were really into hunting and you know started shooting bows at a young age and you know we all kind of did it together at the the local sportsman club and you know just got really into it and it's just stuck with me nice so
1: now did you mention you so your dad was it was kind of that classic you know pa first day of rifle. Did, yes. did he did he also bow hunt? Like either even just like a little bit or was it was it mainly just you kind of showed an interest in it?
2: So my dad at a young age, actually kind of cool story. Uh you know, my dad he's he started at a young age shooting a traditional bow. An okay. old like Blackhawk. I yeah. think they made him in like McKeesport PA. Oh wow. And uh you know, he was shooting that when he was like a ten-year-old boy, and that's actually the same exact bow that I learned to shoot was his old Blackhawk traditional bow. That's so. Great. My dad, yeah, he shot bows and stuff back in the day, but he never actually deer hunted with a bow. He was just a rifle hunter with a bow. It's just, you know, something that he did, you know, with his buddies.
1: Wow, that's interesting. So, do you do you still have that old yeah. bow?
2: I still do have that uh, old bow. It's down in the garage. Is your boy? Is so you, yeah, you put
1: your boy on it here. He,
2: he actually probably will shoot it. I, I got him, uh, he's got a little compound bow that he shoots and it's, he needs to really upgrade. It's, it's a little small for him now. And you know, I got him, he's shooting the crossbow, but he really wants to move up to the big leagues next year and actually shoot a compound bow. So hopefully uh Santa Claus will be good to him this year and, and, and maybe get him a compound bow so He'd be ready for next season.
1: There you go. That's awesome, so. man. That's awesome. The, uh, man it's uh hope maybe he uh i hope maybe you put that old uh little traditional bone in his hands and and see and see how he likes that one day whenever he's just a little bit older i imagine it's probably a hard pull for him right now it's 10 10 years old right
2: yeah well it's actually it's only uh i think the draw weight on it's like 30 pounds it's nothing too crazy so yeah he really could shoot it right now and i think i think it's good for for kids to learn on a traditional bow i mean a lot of people don't even see those anymore
1: right so when Uh, did you you not too
2: many people shoot them
1: so you started shoot you started with that bow right that that traditional bow
2: yeah now was that the first
1: around Uh, i'm sorry go ahead Uh, yeah when i was around yeah 10 years old yeah so did you did you eventually hunt with that bow or did you switch to a different bow before you started actually hunting no yeah, so I that was more
2: just like a target bow. Like okay. I shoot target practice with my dad. And actually my good buddy Ryan Quinn, his his dad got him a, a old uh bear. Well, it was new back then, it's old now, but it was a, a bear youth compound bow. And, you know, I started shooting that and uh when we'd go to the sportsman club at the indoor range and really liked it. And actually his dad passed me down his old bow that I, it might've been 15 years old at that. It was an old Martin Firecat, and this thing. I mean, it, it was, it was special. I actually still have that bow. It's hung up in my garage. It's a conversation piece, but, uh, he actually passed that bow down to me and. You know, got real comfortable with shooting it with it. And that's, you know, when I did my hunter safety course and had my license as a youth hunter that's what I went out with when I was 12 years old it was that old Martin Firecat aluminum arrows muzzy 3-blade broadheads and I was out there ready to get me a buck
1: right <laughs> that's all aw- that's awesome man so you know yep. i think i think your story you know how you started hunting is pretty uh typical for us PA guys right like usually dad and granddad maybe are into gun hunting and maybe they mess around exactly. with the bow a little bit like my dad's the same way like he gun hunted he he always had a uh a traditional bow a recurve bow around the house and you know and i've told this story before but he, he would usually if he took it out it was mainly after it had rained in october sometime or um maybe on a real windy day where he would just kind of stalk you know what i mean he typically didn't go out with a bow otherwise um so i like i didn't get introduced to bow hunting till later if, you know for me unfortunately right. But, you know, so I I say all that to say there was a very specific way that PA hunters kind of are introduced to hunting in in that regard, right? There wasn't a whole lot of talk in our hunting camp with like my dad and my uncles and stuff like that about hunting strategy or anything like that. It was all pretty superficial. I mean, I loved it as a kid growing up. It was awesome. Tradition killer. But I wouldn't say that I gained a whole lot of insight on how to like. Be a good hunter necessarily until I got older and started right. seeking out different information myself. So, I'm curious, exactly. like because you didn't have a lot of bow hunter, or I shouldn't say a lot of bow hunter. I don't want to answer the question for you. Did you have a, other bow hunters around you, and if not, how did you start to kind of put the pieces together as to how bow hunting is different than than rifle hunting in PA?
2: So, to tell you the truth, Clint, I mean, I really didn't have too much of a mentor for bow hunting i mean i had my dad's buddies that lived in the neighborhood who were my buddies dads you know they were bow hunters and you know learned a, a few things from them but you know back in the day i pretty much learned bow hunting from failure
1: mm-hmm.
2: um i can't tell you um how many times that i messed up on deer as a youth hunter um just trying to figure it out you know you go out You know, you figure out where the deer are coming through, you know, you get set up and then the deer comes in and, you know, you wait too long to draw back or it catches you moving before it comes and before it comes into range. And there's just so many little things that I learned over the years by messing up on bucks that have made me the hunter I am today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a totally different story nowadays with all these podcasts and everything you have. I mean, if you want to learn, you can learn,
1: yeah.
2: open your ears. You can connect with people on social media. You know, you have all these podcasts out there to listen to it. It's just insane how much you can learn now. Yeah. Um, now that still doesn't mean that you don't have to put in the time in the woods. Cause I think the best way to learn is to just get out there and do it and figure it out. Like I said, through failure, that's the best way to become a good hunter. Yeah
1: hundred percent. I hundred percent agree, man. I mean, that's the one. That's the one thing I think. A lot of times, when you know, and I agree with you, there's a ton of outlets now to give you good information and get you pointed in the right direction. You know, like Nick, you said, like I grown up, I didn't have anything like that. You know, even close to what we have now in terms of accessibility to information for things that I'm that I'm interested in. But right. you know, I think a lot of times people take what they might hear somewhere. You know as well intended as it might be as the gospel and it doesn't work the way that someone described it and they might forget, they either maybe don't know, you know, or they might be new and not know or or they might, they know and maybe forget that these things that you hear on podcasts or wherever, you know, is a good insight, but you have to really, to your point, put the boots on the ground and see like, does it work exactly how they described it for me? Or does it work a little bit differently because i'm hunting in a different place you know or i'm you know or i'm hunting different terrain or and so there's a little bit of that trial and error to your to your point i think it's all a degree of like failure you have to have with even just trying different tactics out and stuff like that to make sure to find out whether they work for you or not or find out whether you're even comfortable using them or not right
2: right yeah i mean i agree totally and. You know, it's it's very situational, too, on how these different people's tactics work. I mean, you know, you you listen to all these guests that you have on the show who are unbelievable hunters. And like, you know, they have a lot of them have the same mentality and mindset about how they go at things. But they also have slightly different things about how they attack certain situations in the woods and how they hunt scrapes and how they hunt rubs and, you know, how they set up on a deer where it's bedded i mean they all do things a little bit different so i think you have to have open ears and try to take in everything you can and then you know take it to your playbook and see what works best for you
1: yeah no 100 percent, man i couldn't uh i couldn't agree more and i think when people start to when they realize that that's whenever they start to kind of find their groove if you will you know what i mean because it's all it's all situational and it's based on you know you know, for me, I'll just give a, for example, like for me, I play the, you know, I've talked about this a hundred times, but I play a lot of the date, the date game, you know what I mean? Around specific mm-hmm. areas. And I try to target specific yep. dates. Reason being we're getting like,
2: close to your date. Oh, game.
1: I know, man. I'm, I'm actually <laughs> might've, might've took a day off tomorrow. Just <laughs> Ooh, you got that cold snap. Constantly. I do. Good one. I do. I got that cold snap and the dates are right. And it was actually where I had an encounter last year on the same date, uh, the past two years so it's uh oh, man, all awesome. signs are pointing in a good direction now whether or not we have a good deer in that area because i'm i've been pretty dry on inventory even still and like mm-hmm. i've just i've been checking cameras like crazy trying to find something I'm interested in but this spot is usually a, a good spot so you know I could have one in there that i just' am not aware of but the reason I do that is one is i like it number one but number two I'm a working stiff like most people and i don't I mean, like the public that i hunt near me isn't super super close so it's not like I can get like a morning hunt in and always be back home in time for work or leave in time in the evening to get out to hunt. So it's like I gotta be really strategic and precise about how I hunt. You know what I mean? And so it's oh, like yeah. I gotta take you I know, know this. You yeah. You know, so it's like for me, you know, it's that that approach for me, I have found has worked and I've had, you know, more better encounters once I started kind of employing that. Even though I've talked to hundreds of dudes that have all kinds of different styles, you know, that is the style that seems to have worked the best for me to this point you know what i mean right yeah yep so man i want to talk a little bit about the area you're you're hunting so if you wouldn't mind you know don't give away the the details but just describe in general that like the type of terrain and habitat that you're kind of working with where, where you're hunting
0: fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
2: So, I mean, there's a lot of big timber in that area. Um, there's a lot of steep ridge lines. There's a, there's a lot of good, uh, ridge lines to work up there. A lot of good topography, um, where I hunt there's, it's more big timber, you know, thick laurel. Uh, there's some clear cuts and stuff around. There's not so much farm country, but you know, not too far from the area I'm in, there is, you know, farm fields and stuff like that, but I'm basically hunting the, the big timber portion of these areas, I I like to use the uh you know steep hillsides, the benches, the points. I like to use those to, you know, my advantage and help me, you know, figure out how those deer are going to travel and set up where I think they're going to come through and right and uh, make it happen.
1: What uh, I'm 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 curious, you know, when when guys hunt big woods, I'm always curious that has the how they kind of go about breaking it down because everyone kind of does it just like a little bit differently i mean i i roughly know kind of right. the area that you're in and stuff like that and you know right. it's not like you've got small 200 acre lot here like this is like big woods with a lot right. of area to cover so how do you go about kind of breaking down an area or what are you kind of looking for at the outset of things to say <clears throat> this might be an area that i'm going to spend some time paying attention to
2: um so When I look, the first thing I like to do is I like to get on my maps and I like to e-scout and I'll take a a portion, I'll take an area and I'll pick out my certain spots where I think there's going to be deer, whether it's a bedding area or whether it's a travel corridor. Um, Like I said, I like to hunt steep areas. So, you know, I try to find where those benches and whatnot might be on the maps i like to mark out all the points on the maps and then usually what i do then is i go in there i'm big on i'm big on summer scouting um i mean big on any scouting really but i like to i like to find those bucks in in the summer in their early patterns uh you know not to get off track but you find those bucks early season sometimes if you find them in the right spot where they have that good bedding and that good food source in that water, even after they shed their velvet, they still stick to that area. And it can really be dangerous for them, you know, early season, sticking to their guns like that, that I can get in there and and shoot a deer early season. Mm -hmm. Um, But first thing I like to do, like I said, pick my spots out on the map. Then I like to throw my cameras out and I want to let those cameras soak. And I want to see what kind of bucks are in those areas. So let them soak for a little bit, see what kind of inventory I have. And then I start breaking it down, trying to see, you know, where I think they're betting, where I think they're coming from. And then, you know, depending on where the area is, what type of bucks I have there, then I'll break it down into there and I'll put my cameras out all around that area and try to figure out exactly where he's coming and going so that I can set up on him early season. Um, Go ahead. I've I've in the past, I've never really been an early season hunter. I've always went out, but I've never really put in other than these past couple of years a lot of time scouting in the summer and trying to get these bucks patterned to take them out. You know, I want to be the first guy to hunt these deer, you know. Right. When you when you hunt these deer that early in the season, it's crazy how relaxed they are. They haven't been hunted yet. And they're just chilling, walking through the woods. They have no care in the world. If you get in set up on the right spot, it's just, it, it can be unbelievable. Um, this, this is, uh, this is my, my second year in a row. First sit of the season that I, I took out a PA buck. Yeah. So that's, that's it, it can, it can be done.
1: That's a great way to kind of put it. Be the first guy to hunt those deer, you know, cause yeah. It's uh I mean you're right man when you you know I live in an area where we have a little bit of an early opener um in a special right. regs unit you know so <clears throat> a lot of a lot of people don't want to hunt that early part that you know super early part of the season but the deer I see during that time of year man it's just like I mean <laughs> I I'm watching deer like bed in bed in scrapes and stuff like that you know what mm-hmm. i mean like and not even in areas yep. that is a scrape that like i would even hunt necessarily you know but it's a scrape that's like on this line of travel um there's a particular there's two particular scrapes i'm thinking of it's on a line of travel on this elevation line specific elevation line that kind of there's a scrape line and there's one big primary or two decent primary scrapes are kind of along it but like this one scrape i just had a camera because i'm trying to watch like when does the travel line of movement pick up you know what i mean cuz i know where they're ultimately headed you know what i mean i just want to see when it picks up you know and right. have bucks just lay and this is kind of in the open it's not a scrape that i would hunt but it's a scrape i use kind of for inventory and it's at the bottom of this drainage so there's like a good thermal pool there and deer bucks usually hit it at night and that's another reason why i'd really don't hunt it but i use it for inventory and um i have bucks just like bedding in it and it's in the wide open you know what i mean yep. like but now about right now <laughs> on that's not happening anymore (laughs) you know what i mean like they're starting to get some pressure now and those deer are are definitely aren't quite as comfortable in those areas i walked in there to check that camera the one day and i mean i wasn't necessarily trying to be quiet i was just kind of getting in there to check a camera i was going to walk to go hunt somewhere else walked in there got to where the camera was and looked about 40 yards in front of me there were two deer kind of milling along this uh basically along this brush line and I wasn't trying to be quiet. I mean, my wind was good, you know, but they didn't have, they could have cared less, you know? And I mean, I'm sure they heard me walk in there, you know? Yep. But so what are you, so what are you setting your cameras up on in those places? So I know you're kind of looking for those, you know, for those points and, and, and things like that, but what are your kind of specific kind of camera setups to capture that inventory during that time of year that you're, that you're trying to use for early season?
2: Well, I like the, like I said, benches are like my biggest thing because a lot of this steep country the deer are forced to travel those benches um i like to try to put my cameras outside of where i think bedding's gonna be uh you know thick mountain laurel um you know uh clear cuts anything along those lines and i like to try to find these benches a lot of times on these steep hillsides you'll get a bench uh, you'll get two benches pretty close together hmm. and you'll find some trails that are running between benches. And I like to set cameras up, um, you know, at the top of that next bench coming up that trail. Um,
1: so almost like the also, trails, are, trails are vertical going almost straight up and down from one bench to the next. Yeah.
2: Like kind of on an angle from bench to bench, but right. yeah, it's, it's crazy. It, it's, you find these trails and these deer and, and they're not like, heavy beat down trails. Uh, they're, they're lightly used trails, but those deer are using that, you know, because it's the easiest way for them to get from the lower bench to the upper bench. Right. Um, and so I usually like to set them up there. Um, I like to, you know, it seems like those, those bucks always like to bet on like the Eastern ends of points and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I like to set my cameras out on, on the points there and, try to, try to catch them where they're betting. Uh, I've never until the the past two years, I've never really been good at finding buck beds. Um, you know, I've had a, I've had a lot of trouble with that and I've, I've, it's, it's kind of an art there's, there's so many guys yeah. out there that are so good at it. like Greg Litzinger. I mean, that dude's insane with, with that. I mean, he, I know. you know, he, he's insane, but you know, it's it's it really it's just boots on the ground and, mm. and being in the woods and figuring it out. Uh one one thing that I did this year, which you know, I was a little scared, but you know, I got a little bit aggressive with it. And I actually I twice I bumped bucks right out of their beds. Mm. Two really good bucks. And actually the one buck I bumped out, I I think is what led to me shooting the buck that I did this year. But You know, it's crazy. You know, people talk about not being aggressive and and bumping those deer, but I, the one bed that I bumped that buck out of, I put a camera on it. Four days later, he's back in that bed. So, I mean, I think that it worked for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I bumped him out of that bed. He lived. He knew that bed worked. So he's going to use it again. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I, and I think, you know, we don't give, deer enough credit for having having as much nerve as they do have now early yep. see like if it's later in the year and he's been bumped maybe a couple times or something like that like does he frequent it as often who who knows but i think definitely early season to your earlier point where you're hunting relaxed deer you know and being the first yep. person to hunt those those deer like he's not too he's not too worried about that the bed worked the way it's yep. supposed to he got out no harm no foul like not, a, not a big deal. And he hasn't seen people all over him the past 30 days, you know?
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah.
1: What, so what do you think? Cause you know, you said earlier, you know, you really kind of started focusing a little bit more on early season here the past couple of years where it's like, it, that really wasn't a strong suit for you previously. What, what changed for you? Do you, th- what do you think changed for you to where you started having, you know, more early season success?
2: Podcasts. <laughs> I mean, that's seriously. I mean, you know, I was I was talking to Bo at Total Archery Challenges here, and I mean listening to you and Bo's I've been listening to you and Bo's podcast forever. And I mean, all the guests you have on and you know, everything I learned, like I said, I, I, I listen to what everyone has to say, you know, mm-hmm. everyone has a different style, and I want to take all those styles into account and go for it. And uh, you know. I see how Jake Bush does these things and, you know, all the summer scouting he does. And he, you know, he goes in on, on the first day and, and kills a buck. It's like almost every year he does it. It's crazy. But, um, you know, I, I kind of started to focus on that summer scouting more and, uh, it's, it's really crazy. You know, if you put in the time and, and that's the, that is the problem though, you know, once those deer shed velvet, a lot of times they disappear. Yeah, they do. Um, but when they do disappear, they shed that velvet, the acorns are dropping. If you can relocate that buck again, like you have a really good shot of killing that deer. Right. Um, because that's the area he's going to be in.
1: Yeah. I think the hardest part for, um, like the way I kind of look at early season and summer scout, I, I admittedly don't scout a ton during the, uh, during the summer. Um, but I think that early season success, it's kind of, you know, in my opinion, it's almost a volume play, right? Like you can't <laughs> find just like a buck during the summer and kind of know where he's kind of bedded and hanging out. And then, you know, being like, yep, I'm going to go kill that buck because he might he might be transitioning. But if you know where there are right. five or six good bucks and you know where they're selling oh, yeah. and you're sp- and they're spending time and you've located all of them and you kind of know roughly where they're living and where they're going to want to feed and stuff like that. Well, now if you have two that stick around after they, after they peel, well, now you're in the game early, you know what I mean? And so that's the hard part, I think for a lot of people, you know, because, you know, the amount of time you and or a guy like Jake or whomever that's killing deer consistently in the early season, like there's a lot of time boots on the ground, locating these bucks during the summer and spending that time to go in early and and kill them. It's not a I scouted two days in July and one in August and I'm good to go. It's (laughs) exactly, it's a lot, it's it's a lot more, it's a lot more than that, you know?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, pretty much once June hits, you know, June until the beginning of the season, I'm out and, you know, I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not just on one piece scouting. I'm all over scouting. Yeah. You know, it's a bunch of different pieces and I have, You know many different bucks that i want to go after and then you know once it gets closer to the season depending on what they do or if i lose one or you know i have one one located you know those are the deer that you know i'm going to go after right um you know and it works out for me in the summer uh you know a lot of times uh you know my family comes up to camp with me and i get up early and i get my scouting done and you know i still get to hang out with them in the afternoon You know for the rest of the day so i kind of i kind of have to balance it but it it really works out you just you got to make the right time for it and Hmm. and just go do it
1: right so how much you know whenever you're locating them is you relying on trail camera inventory to know that those bucks are in that area and how much of it is you actually getting a visual observation on them
2: so typically it's usually all trail camera stuff like i said when i find these bucks I really don't like to pressure them. Um, But this year, uh, you know, twice, I came in a different way than I typically do, and I bumped these bucks out of their bed, and that was visual for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, you know, I'm trying to sneak around in there, come in at the right times, you know, collect my camera data and figure out what's going on. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I accidentally got aggressive this year, you know, I didn't mean to push that buck and the crazy thing, the first buck that I jumped, the way he was bedded that deer, he watched me walk in there every time I can almost guarantee it. He was sitting on the bench up above me. He always had the wind blowing off his back and he's facing down, looking over the next bench over. And I guarantee he watched me walk in there. Every time he sat in between, right on top of this bench, in between there was three trees, and he was just tucked in there. It was it was a pretty cool bed. Hmm. It it was it was cool to find it. I I was a little nervous after I bumped him, but like I said, it was so early, you know, he hopped right back in that bed four days later. Right. I put a camera, I had a camera on and threw a camera on it, and he was right there four days later in that bed.
1: So what is it about these spots where you're finding them that, you know, I I know you mentioned, you you know, you focus on those, those benches and you focus on those trails that might run, you know, um, perpendicular, you know, or catty corner, if you will, from one bench to the next, you know, that they're, that they're using as Mm -hmm. the, you know, path of least resistance between the two. But outside of that, you know, are you, you know, cause The thing whenever you're focused like for me example like you know knowing that i focus a lot on you know community scrapes and things of that nature it's like i'm usually looking for sign that's been laid down during you know early-ish to like mid-ish october right so right rub line you know primary scrape area that's been opened up historically you know things things of that nature right that's something that tells me that there's deer there and like if i can find a scrape well that's good but if i can find a scrape that has some rubs around it like Jackpot, you know what I mean? Because I know, like, not only is there right. deer here, there's bucks that are spending time here too. So, right, knowing that you know this isn't where they're spending their time necessarily when they're laying down that you know pre-rut, you know October, you know mid-October type of sign. What sign are you looking for aside from just those trails and that type of in ter- that terrain feature that you mentioned before? I mean, are you looking for a historical sign that might be around there that says bucks are bedding in and around here, or how are you how are you kind of qualifying that?
2: So if I have scouted it, you know, in the spring or whatever after the season's over and I know about some historical sign, you know, yeah, you know, you can throw that in there on on where you're going to pin down these deer, but uh like like this year this piece that I I was on, this was my first year scouting and hunting this piece that I shot my buck on. So I had no intel from last year and you know, early in the season like that um you know, there's no sign, there's yeah. no sign in the summer really to go off of. So, you know, I'm just looking at different food sources that, that they may, different brows that they may eat and, you know, trying to find where the oaks are, you know, usually, you know, if you can't identify your tree, you can, if there was a good uh, oak harvest, uh, you know, last year, you know, you can find acorns on the ground and whatnot. So, you know, trying to find those food sources as well, where I think they're bedding, and kind of set my cameras up in that area as well. So yes, if if I have scouted it, you know, end of last year and I know where the sign is, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in those areas where that historical sign is. But if it's a new piece that I've never been on, you know, you're not gonna have any sign like that to go off in the early season. Right. So you're 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 kind of picking an area and, you know, put a camera out and, you know, got to find those deer and then see what they're doing.
1: Right. Do you think it helped you this year? Not knowing, or I shouldn't say not knowing being the first year that you hunted this piece and not, and maybe not hundred percent sure exactly what you might get into.
2: I don't know about that. I mean, I, I I always like going uh, on new pieces of ground and scouting it out because it's so exciting, you know. Once you e scout it and, and feel where you think there's going to be deer, and it, it it it's really fun to get your cameras out and see what's going to go there. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I don't know if it, it's easier or not. But you just you just kind of got to go for it. I I don't really have a. Well, let me ask yeah, it this way: really
1: If you had more information, do you think you would have been a av- as aggressive this year as you were if you think Probably about it in not. context it, when you yeah, think about defi- it in con-
2: definitely not right i definitely would not have been as aggressive
1: and if you weren't as aggressive yeah. this year do you think you would have killed that deer when you did
2: absolutely not i wouldn't have killed him yeah if i wasn't aggressive yeah
1: right i feel like yeah, we were because- just, i feel like we were just on 60 minutes <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was having trouble answering the question. You helped me answer it. <laughs>
1: well, well <laughs> I was trying because I mean, it's it's always an interesting take, man. Because you know, Greg and I have talked about this a bunch. You know, you know, and he always kind of makes fun of me for it. Because he's like, man, he's like, when you go out of state, he's like, you're always, you know, or even just somewhere where he's like, you're not familiar. He's like, you always seem to find deer, like, no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, and when you hunt around home. He's Like it seems that's that, that's where you have your biggest struggle is whenever you have like some information, you know. And he's right. always getting on me, he's like, You just need to stop not stop scouting, but just like you know, not using like all the information that you have and just go like let it rip, if you will. You know, what I mean, it's right. like a basketball player that's like thinking about the shot, it's like, Man, shooter got a, shooter's gonna shoot, you know what I mean? Like, exactly, just keep putting the ball up and it's gonna eventually go in the hole, you know. Yeah, that,
2: you, you have a good point there,
1: yeah, and so. Cause sometimes I think we outthink ourselves a little bit, you know what I mean? And so, and I found that I definitely do. So I was just curious from your perspective, this deer particularly, that's why I was asking the way I was asking. Cause I was trying to get to the point of like, was the aggressiveness in part because of the lack of information and the lack of like knowing and was that aggression, the reason why you killed, you know? And, and so I, let me ask this then based on what happened this year, do you think that you will be more aggressive in the years going forward?
2: I I think that's going to be situational, Clint. Uh, it's going to depend, but I I do agree with you there. You know, had I had all of that intel, you know, like after last season, uh, you know, historical, you know, historical sign and whatnot, I'm sure I probably would have overthought you know, where I needed to set up and what I needed to do there. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess it is kind of easier, you know, going into a spot like that because, you know, you don't have as much other stuff in your head trying to figure out where, you know, where you need to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny cause you, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is, is that I, I'm so kind of I don't want to say worried, but paying attention to my access and stuff like and stuff like that, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, and people who kill big deer frequently, like that's that's a big thing, a big thing for them, right? And so I pay I'm religious about paying attention to that. But I think sometimes and Tony Peterson and I have talked about this, where we really don't know what those deer are doing. Like we think we do. Right. You know what I mean? And and so on days where my access you know, maybe isn't great, might be the day that I might kill that deer because he may come from somewhere that I didn't expect him to. And so, like, and it's kind of like I'm thinking, like, the hunt you had this year, it's like, if you knew what you, if you would have had more information, would you have ended up where you were at? And I think sometimes we kind of talk ourselves out of this because we think of all the reasons why it could be wrong, right? As opposed to like all the reasons that we, that we're get that if we just were honest with ourselves like man we're just guessing at this and i and i could be completely right. wrong about those things i just need to go you know sit at that spot regardless and you don't want to blow your spot up with bad wind and stuff like that i'm not suggesting that but a little bit more right. risk sometimes is, is good
2: it, it it is it can be and you know this year showed me that right it, it really did
1: so man, I want to shift gears now and talk about this uh, about this buck that you killed because he's a freaking stud, man. He's not just a stud for PA; he's a stud anywhere. But did you have any knowledge of this deer at all? Like any, I mean, trail camera pictures or anything like that of him?
2: So I was after a, I was actually after a a different deer, um, but looking back on my trail cam data, I I had only two pictures of this deer. And he, I was like, he's either a 10 or a 12. Like I knew he was a a big buck. Like you could see his big frame and it was hard to count his points. The two pictures I had of this deer were extremely blurry. Hmm. I don't know what happened. He was, you know, just walking fast when he passed my camera, but both times it was on the right side when he came by and it was blurry. But I mean, looking back on it, it has to be him. But
1: were those... but truthfully,
2: I was in there after a different buck.
1: Okay. So, so were the were those images daylight or or not, or night?
2: Uh one was daylight, one was night.
1: the night one was he was he was he borderline daylight or or no? No. No. Okay.
2: No, it was it was like two a.m. or something.
1: Okay. So yeah. So the deer you were after that you were after in, initially, like. Mm-hmm what like what did you think that that deer was doing how did you think you were going to kill that deer because i'm curious how this kind of plays out given that the deer that you ended up killing was based off of almost like a strategy for a different deer
2: right well that deer i had him like pretty regular on a camera okay uh he was on he was on a bench and at this bench there was another trail that split off and went went down the ridge side and that's where I had first located the deer that I originally wanted to hunt. Um, and I was getting him on there, but I couldn't figure out where he was bedding from, <laughs> where he was bedding at. And I knew there was a clear cut close by. And it was kind of at the same elevation to get to that clear cut where he was coming through. But I could not catch him on camera. I could not figure out where he was, you know, bailing off that bench to go to go to bed. and. Uh, I actually, I was, I was going through and it was the least traveled trail that I could even find in there. Hmm. But yeah. I noticed all this, this is another thing from a podcast, you know, Johnny Stewart had said this and it just kind of stopped with me. That guy, he's, he's like a whitetail dude, dude. He's, he's, but, a,
1: he's a whitetail whisperer. I swear.
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it's insane. But you know, I mean, I think he's the only one I've ever heard talk about deer poop on a a podcast, but he talked about, you know, the, you know, the bigger mature deer, you know, they're healthier, you know, they're getting more of their peace in the woods. And, you know, they usually have the bigger, clumpier poop. Mm -hmm. And I know this sounds so silly, but it was like one of the least traveled trails that went off to that. And I saw all that big clumped up deer poop. And I'm like Johnny. Johnny says this is what it is. I, I
1: got to try this, you know. So right? it's like who who am I, to, I who am I to dispute what he says?
2: Yeah. So I literally set my trail camera up on there. I let it soak for a week. Two days after I had my camera, that's where he was going back to his bed. It, it was it was it was insane. I I, I spent what, all summer trying to figure it out. What time of Get year it? was
1: this? That that trail camera picture? Uh that was
2: middle middle towards end of september
1: okay all right so we're getting we're getting on to season opening here
2: gotcha we're we're getting yeah we're getting close to yeah i mean he actually um he actually in that video he had he still had some velvet hanging off the side of his rack okay um but i had located this deer and you know i figured that he was going to stick because there was i mean 80 yards out i mean i'm sure he has great food where he's betting um but 80 yards from the clear cut where he's betting there's a like oak flat i I wouldn't call it a flat because it's kind of on the side of a mountain right but it's a small oak flat and i mean i thought for sure i'm gonna kill this buck because the trail that he liked to travel when he came out of his bed, that was the only spot on that flat where there were fresh acorns dropping. Hmm. And I'm like, this is going to be perfect. Like, there's no way this deer is not going to stay in this pattern. I mean, the trail that he likes to to go out to feed, I mean, that's the only place that these acorns are dropping. Like, I thought for sure, I'm going to set up on that flat, that acorn flat, and I'm going to kill this deer. Right. So- well...
1: So let me ask you a quick question. I should have clarified this earlier. When you're talking about a bench, is this just like, you know, like a, you know, a certain type of, you know, wide kind of terrain feature that just kind of flattens out that's on the side of the mountain, Or are these, or these old kind of logging roads, old logging road kind of benches?
2: Uh, well, they can, they can be either. Okay. Either. I mean, Old logging roads that run along those cliff sides, those are great. That's the same thing. Okay. But even that natural ones that run along the hills. Yeah.
1: So when Same same thing. Either
2: or they use those.
1: Okay. So which ones, which one are you, did you, like for this particular buck, was it, was it one or the other?
2: Uh, It was a natural one. It was a natural one. Okay, cool. Yes. Last Mm -hmm. year's buck was, it was an old logging road, which was a bench. Okay. Gotcha. And then the bench above was natural.
1: Okay. So
2: either way, you know, however, you know, however it is, whether it's natural or not, if they can use it, you know, to travel, they're going to use it.
1: Right. So you find this kind of Oak flat, you find the faint trail that this deer is using, and now you kind of know where he's starting to go, you know, where you're presuming that he's getting back to bed and this spot has right. the acorns and it feels like the money spot. So was that the spot you ended up hunting or how did you end up kind of finding the the area that you were going to actually set up to hunt him? in?
2: Yeah. I mean, seriously, Clint, I thought this was a slam dunk. Like I'm like, there's no way I'm not going to shoot that deer. Like on opening day, which actually what ended up happening was, uh, I wasn't able to hunt on opening day of PA statewide archery. Uh, I ended up having to go to Chicago for work. And this was, I was like so upset because this is like the first par archery opener I've ever missed. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, so anyhow, the, the opening day that Saturday, um, I had to go to Chicago. So I went in there that Friday and I pulled all my cameras on that piece because I had an eight, eight and a half hour drive to Chicago. I wanted to, I wanted to get my game plan ready. So when I got back to PA, I knew exactly where I was going to hunt. Right. Well, when I went in there, I did a bunch of scouting. I, you know, I can never just go in and get my cameras. I got to scout along the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was up higher in elevation on top of the ridge. And there was already a good bit of scrapes. I mean, I found a big community scrape, like a Mm -hmm. big car hood community scrape. And I found like four other scrapes all at the same elevation on top of the ridge. So like, that really got me thinking. (laughs) So I go and pull all my cameras and, you know, I'm looking at my camera cards, you know, uh, my boss drove out. So I'm looking at my camera cards on the way out and they're like all dead. Like all these bucks that I was after, they they're gone they they shifted i you know i thought there's no way that deer was going to shift you know he had everything he needed there water food he had a bulletproof bedding area like i thought for sure i was going to hunt that deer well i mean when i realized my cameras were dead i just i knew i had to go with like my most recent intelligence and when i got back it, it was a crazy week i worked 72 hours from saturday to wednesday night and then I drove home through the night, got home uh, Thursday morning, and uh, at 4 a.m. and I slept for a little bit, and, and I, I wanted to get out. I wanted to get out in the woods, so I went straight up, straight up to that piece, hmm. and uh, I, I ended up. Uh, I decided to uh, to hunt hunt up in the, at that sign.
1: So what was the uh where, the area that the that all this sign was in? Was it like I know you said it was kind of like on top of the ridge, but it, was it like a flat that was on top of the ridge? Was it on like a point like almost to the top of the ridge? What was what was the setup like?
2: Yeah, so I mean it's a it's a ridge that runs uh like north to south. Mm-hmm. And it's there's a ridge that runs right off the top. So north to south ridge, you got a point that's running uh, east off the ridge. And the ridge kind of, it comes up to the top, but then it also just kind of starts where I was at, it kind of starts to drop back down over the hill where that other buck was that I was after.
1: Hmm.
2: Interesting. So, yeah, so, you know, I, I got home, that, I mean, do you want me to get into the story of the deer now, or
1: yeah, yeah? I have one other question. Was that so? Yeah, were were yeah. you set up? Was it was it on that eastern point? Was that where your setup was at?
2: No, no, I was not. So huh. the uh, the other deer that I I told you about that I had jumped, uh-huh. he yeah. was on that eastern point. Okay. So since I knew where this fresh sign was, I wanted to set up where i set up is if you where i jumped him on that point if you wrap the ridge line around that point back to the top of that ridge i set up about 40 yards north of that okay and um about uh maybe 150 yards from that big like car hood community scrape that i was telling you about
1: what was the uh so you so you get home, you need to get out in the woods, you sleep for like an hour and then you start hoofing it up to the up to that spot. What was the wind that day? And how was your how was your wind playing?
2: So my wind was blowing northeast, okay. which for how I thought this deer was going to come around the mountain, I figured this would be perfect wind. Um so it's coming northeast and where he came from, I mean, his wind is blowing from him down to me, so my my wind ended up being perfect.
1: Nice.
2: So I'm like, I'm I'm kind of nor I'm north, but I'm kind of northwestern a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to exactly tell you unless I showed you on a map. But um, but yeah, but the wind the wind was was perfect for me. uh and it was only like you know it was a good like uh i think it was like eight mile per hour wind that day or something right it was it was it was good wind
1: nice all right so you're in the tree you're set up let's let's go through the the hunt the hunt here what what goes what goes down with this with this deer
2: all right so get to the parking spot and you know it's still early season so you know you don't have all those crazy crunchy leaves on the ground i mean you can still get in you can still get in kind of nice and quiet if you take your time so i'm heading in nice and quiet and you know i pass up all those scrapes i kind of walk in on the ridge line there because that was easiest it's you know like three quarter mile walk it's nothing real crazy that's the other thing wherever where i was hunting before is is much farther back um you know this was a much easier hike but it's where the sign was so that that's where i wanted to go right so i hike back up in and i'm trying to figure out exactly where i want to go um i'm not one of those guys that likes to like toe up right over top of the scrape
0: mm-hmm.
2: um i, I just I, I mean i feel like those those more mature deer they're not just especially on like public land where i was at where it's highly pressured I just don't feel like a mature deer like that. It's just going to walk up to a car hood scrape and, right. and I'm just gonna, I'm going to crack him. You know, I feel, I mean, you know, and all deer have different personalities. You may get a five-year-old buck that, you know, he just doesn't care. You know, yeah. he's just going to do whatever, but I, I don't like to take that chance. So what I tried to do was off that point where I bet, where I bumped that deer that was betted. If you wrap the ridgeline, Around the opposite side of that point where it meets that ridge. I wanted to set up somewhere in that area. So 40 yards off where that ridge line meets the top of that ridge, there's a perfect triple tree, like perfect kill tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you came off that point straight back, there's actually a trail that comes straight out. Um by that triple tree which I mean I would never expect the mature deer to come straight back that point out in the open like that but that was another option that I had that trail so I set up right there um and I was self-filming this hunt as well so you know I get my go my secondary camera all set up in the tree you know I, I get my camera arm all set up and I'm just sitting there quiet ready to go and uh you know I can see I can see a good ways out that point. I'm probably about, I would say, 300 to 350 yards from that point where I believe that that he's bedded. That's where I bumped that deer from. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. I'm just sitting there, glassing, and you know, not really, not anything's going on. I'm not seeing any activity, nothing, and uh, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden. My GoPro starts beeping. Well, I, I have a little battery UPS thing to keep it on and it's dead. And I'm like, I'm like all disgruntled about that. You know, I, I get it. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to film this hunt and it freaking dies. So right. I forgot, I forgot to hit a button on it. So I hit the button on it and I'm like, I don't want to turn it back on right now. Cause you know, it, it's totally dead. So I'm just sitting there nice and quiet and all of a sudden I just hear raking to my right and I'm like, what the heck? And I'm sitting in that triple tree. So, I mean, it's one tree, but it has, you know, three sections that come up. So I'm in the middle of it and I have one tree to my right and one tree to my left. Well, I hear that raking and I lean back in my tree stand and I look to my right and all I see is a big body deer and he has his whole head in this sapling with all these leaves on, and he's just rubbing his orbital glands in this tree. And I'm just like, "Oh, baby! Like, I, I don't know what he, I don't know what he is, but he's a big deer, and this is awesome! Like, he's making this scrape forty yards for me. Like, I'm all pumped up. So, he's done rubbing his orbital glands in in the tree." And he, he puts his head down and he's starting to make the scrape. And then that's when I realized I'm like, he's a shooter. <laughs> he's a shooter. So, you know, I'm getting excited, get myself composed. And so I grab my bow and I told you I'm, I'm hunting off of, you know, the trail that the scrape lines on, but I'm also 40 yards up from the ridgeline that I wanted him, him to come out on.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: so. I'm assuming that once he makes this scrape, that he's just going to walk right up the trail and maybe head down to some of these other scrapes. So I have my my camera arm is up against the right tree. And I'm thinking he's just going to walk out this trail and it's just going to be a 15-yard chip shot. (laughs) So I'm standing there with my bow in my hand I got my camera ready, and I'm just standing there waiting for him to stop making the scrape and come down this trail. Well, as soon as he's done making that scrape, he starts to come across that trail. And he's going to start to work behind me. So, which, I mean, it makes sense because down over that hill, you know, it's actually, it gets really thick behind me. hmm um, I'm sure some deer bed down in there. There's also acorns down in there. And I mean, it's a pretty secluded way also uh,
0: down to that clear cut. Right.
1: So. So what time, what anyhow, time, what time was this? Six 40, six 40, okay. six 40. Yep.
2: Okay. So <clears throat> I get my, uh, he starts coming around me. So now I have to come the whole way around that triple, the the tree to the right of me. So I get my camera arm around the tree and I work my bow around the tree and he's coming in and I don't have a shot yet. Like I said, he's 40 yards at the scrape and he's coming in an angle behind me and I have two open shooting lanes. So I get my camera focused. I get drawn back. And as soon as he stops in, as soon as he gets into that opening where I want to shoot him, I make my little, my little grunt noise. Right. He doesn't stop. I make it again. He stops. But he's 32 yards, but now he's behind a tree. (laughs) So I have no shot. All I can see is like mid-body to his, his back end. That's all I can see now. So get my camera focused in again. I have literally one last shooting lane. It's also 32 yards. And if I don't stop him in that shooting lane, he's, he's gone. I'm not getting another shot at him. Like there's no, no more shots, Right. So I'm clipped on. And as soon as I see his body look like it's going to move, I draw my bow back and I made an even louder noise this time. Like he didn't stop the first time I got to get him to stop. So I made that loud grunt noise. I settle in on him. And I let it fly. I'm guessing when I brought my bow across, I think I hit my arrow off the tree and it opened the blade on my expandable broadhead. Oh, man. Because God. I shoot and it hits him. I hate to say it, but this happens in bow hunting. It hits him, him right in under the ear in the side of his neck and and first thing i immediately said was just oh shit
1: yeah yeah i mean at and, that point you're like you gotta be kidding you know, me yeah
2: yeah i mean 32 yard shot i mean there's nothing in the way and i hit the deer in the neck so he immediately I, I mean i can't believe he didn't just go down with that shot right he yeah. immediately turns right back around and came where he went back where he came from and and the arrow popped out right where he was making that scrape and i mean he was full speed ran over the side of the mountain and i'm just like you know what did i just do so right i sit down and i relax and i self-filmed it so i have the footage so i go back and i'm looking at the replay and you can see my arrow it goes it's like it like offsets it's on track and it just offsets right into his neck you can see the whole arrow move hmm. it's flight like on video
1: it's crazy
2: so yeah so i was i was really i'm i got this you know i i practice nonstop. you know go to the total archery challenge i shoot 3d courses you know, and I'm like, I shoot this deer in the neck, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I had a, I had a funky situation in, in Missouri, it's similar, they hit a small twig and that was all, all it took and lost that deer, you know, twig. I, I would yep. never seen a million years and I wouldn't have known what happened if it weren't for it being filmed and being able to watch back, you know what I mean? What, you know, right. and, and slow it down and go, Oh, there was a small twig that was on the side of that tree. And when my arrow went by, it's no longer there. Like, <laughs>
2: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the replay at first, I thought, you know, oh, my, there must've been a twig there or something, but there's literally nothing that it hit, but you, it's just crazy watching, watching that, that replay, how that arrow goes. It's nuts.
1: So, I mean, so, at this point you gotta be thinking like, all right, what am I going to do next? Like I hit this deer. Like I got to figure out what my, my game plan is to try to figure out, you know, if he's making it or not.
2: Exactly. So So I get down and I go to where I shot him and like directly right where I shot him, I didn't see any blood, but as he turned around like five feet, I could see the blood Mm -hmm. and pretty good blood. And I walk over to where the arrow is and it's pretty good blood, but I'm just like, I just don't know about that shot. Like, you know, I'm looking at the replay and I can see where I'm pretty sure I hit him exactly right. right where I hit him below the ear but like you know you gotta hope to hit some arteries or something and he's just gonna bleed out like that was really
1: yeah
2: it was the only way that I was I mean his vitals are fine so I, I was I was hoping that that's that's what I did was took some arteries out and like I said he was bleeding good um but it was a tough decision I didn't know what to do um you know I never shot a deer in the neck I mean you know right you know, everyone's made a bad shot at a deer, you know, you hit it back a little bit or you hit it a little bit high, but like in the neck, like nobody wants to shoot a deer in the neck, <laughs> right, so, right. you know? So I was trying to figure out what to do. I had good blood and, you know, it originally was supposed to rain that night and the, uh, the rain ended up, it was, it, 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 didn't end up coming through. I was looking at the the radar. So I ended up deciding to play it safe because I I would have hated to jump this buck. And, you know, in in that kind of territory, you know, you jump that deer and lose blood and he's going to be very hard to find. Yeah. So I hated to do it. And I had a sleepless night, but I decided that I was just going to let him go overnight and I was going to come back in in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I went, I went back that night. I talked to some of my buddies and, You know, they all kind of thought I was making the right decision, you know, to, you know, let it go. So I had a, you know, better shot at recovering this deer the next day. Yeah. So that's what I did. Uh, you know, had a couple lattes, got some food in me, (laughs) and you know, tried to go to go to sleep that night, didn't get much sleep. Uh, and you know, my plan was to, you know, be at my arrow. I left my arrow last you know i left my area there so i'd be able to get right to tracking in the morning right where the last yeah. blood was so i wanted to be there right when it got daylight yeah. well i woke up in the morning and i think my body was just so run down from being up for over 24 hours and just coming home and like going out hunting like i i just i had to get out but my body was so run down i actually I was like sick in the morning. I was throwing up and Jeez. I tried I tried to eat a protein bar and I, I couldn't keep it down. And but I, I just I had to go, I had to go go get this deer. So I was I got in the woods a little late. I got to the parking area, you know, right at daylight and hiked back in. And the blood was, I mean, I was able to follow it, but being dried up and this deer as fast as he was running i mean it was sprayed everywhere right so i take my time i follow the blood i mean i knew the direction he went in but he goes about 200 yards down over this hill it's a pretty steep hill and at the bottom of that hill there's a there's like a natural bench that curves to the left i come down the hill And I see a big pile of blood. I'm like, well, that's good. Like, Uh you know, the big pile of blood, he obviously stopped. He's obviously hurting. So within the next 100 yards, there was four more piles of blood. Uh So I'm like, he's really slowing down now. Like, where's he at? Like, he's got to He's got to be here. So I come up to the last pile of blood. The last two piles of blood were within like two feet of each other. And I figured he just kept going out that bench while there, there was no more blood. And at that point, you know, hiking down there, I still, I hadn't had any food. I was like a little lightheaded. So I had to, I literally laid down for like 10 minutes on the ground, drink a bottle of water, got a protein bar in me. I was able to hold it down and I was, I was good to go. So I get back up and I'm standing at that, I'm on my hands and knees at that last pile of blood and what that deer did. I'm, you know, I've, I've seen this happen before when deer are about to die, they kind of, you know, J hook back around. I don't know if they're yeah. confused or, you know, they're about to die. Um, so anyhow, what that deer did was he jay hooked back around and he went about like 10 feet. And like I said, it's steep country. Well, he fell down this hill that, is extremely steep. I could see, I could see the skid marks going down. It has to be him. So, when you go down this hill, you're not coming back up. So, right. I inch down like a couple steps, and I'm making sure that there's blood that was definitely him. Well, I found blood. It was definitely him. So, slide down this hill, and at the bottom of the hill, he hits a sapling, and I can see all the blood there, and. He gets up again. He slides down another hill. He just keeps going down these hills. Jeez. Slide. Yeah. He slides down another hill and halfway through this hill, there's like these extremely big boulders that like drop off before it goes down the next hill. And he slides down that hill, down over the boulders. Like I had to literally go around these boulders to keep trailing them down there. (laughs) So I come around the boulders and I'm looking down the hill, and I can see him laying there at the bottom. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" I'm. Well, and I'm thinking, I'm like, geez, I hope he didn't break his main beams off." You know, right. crashing down this hill. Like I literally was sliding down these hills to get to this deer. It was insane. And Clint, I got down there, and I was just, I, I, I wasn't sure if he was a. Uh, I thought he was an eleven point when I shot him, mm-hmm. and he was a twelve point, and he's just, you know. Perfect mainframe, 12, you know, mountain deer, good mass, the whole, I mean, I was just, I was on cloud nine when I spotted him down at that hill. Like it it was just, it was unbelievable, especially, I mean, it was just, it was a crazy track job where he took me and, you know, that deer actually showed me some really good spots that I hadn't scouted yet.
1: (laughs) I'm definitely going
2: to be putting time in. I mean, he showed me some really good hunting spots while I was tracking him.
1: Right. Um well, how the hell did you get him out of there, man? It sounds like the climb out was just ridiculous.
2: Yeah. So um when I got to him, the coyotes had eaten him up. Oh, man. They 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 ate his his whole rear end and it was only 55 degrees was the low that night. Oh, okay. So when i got to him i mean you could like smell his guts rotting inside like
0: oh man it,
2: it was it was pretty bad like i was i was pretty upset that right. i mean he was a hefty deer I mean, there would have been a lot of meat to get off this deer um but yeah unfortunately you know all that that meat was ruined um i i i ended up you know caping him out on the mountainside um and I tried I I, looking at the topo map I thought that I was going to be able to wrap the mountain around Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because I was the only reason he stopped is because there was a slight bench in the hillside where I was at Mm -hmm. and I thought that I could kind of walk that out and work my way around the mountainside to get back uphill Mm -hmm. well there was two big drainages that came down like this area on the hillside I was on was only like a hundred yards long, both ways. Hmm. And with a bow in one hand, cause I took my bow and I, you know, I didn't know what, you know, what was going to happen. I had my bow, I had my backpack and now I have the deer in, in the other hand and I couldn't get out of there and there's really no cell service because to get back up that mountain, I mean, I could have done it, but you have to have hands to be able to pull yourself up there. Like it wouldn't have been easy at all. Right. So luckily I had self, like I had like one bar of LTE on this mountainside and I was able to call my stepdad. He was close by. And I was like, I said, are you able to help me out? He's like, what do you need? I said, well, I can't get up this, this hillside. I said, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it back out. I said, the only thing I can do is slide all the way down the mountain. And I said, if you can meet me out the road, I'm about a mile and a half from the road, I could hike out down on the bottom and you could pick me up. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm available. What time are you want to be there? So I told him, I said, I'll be there and. 45 50 minutes you know right and uh so i slid down that mountain <laughs> and i got to the bottom <laughs> and i had a flat walk i mean like i said it was a mile and a half but it was flat right i had a flat walk the whole way to the red and boy was i happy to see him when i
1: got to the red i bet <laughs> man that is but a, it was a, that's an epic story it, dude
2: Yeah, it it was, it was really cool. I mean,
1: you know,
2: I'm very, very thankful to, to be able to harvest, harvest that deer. And, you know, you know what, it's actually, you know, that deer, he's definitely, he's definitely a four-year-old deer, if, if not older, Um, you know, that other deer that, that I was after, you know, he really probably was only a three-year-old, even though he was something special, Mm -hmm. you know, he really probably needed another year um and you know i this, this deer was just uh a blessing in disguise to be able to right be able to take him he's just a really neat you know old mountain deer
1: nice that's awesome did you did you manage to tape him out see what he uh see what he scored i did i
2: did tape him out he's uh 149 and an eighth nice is what he scored
1: that's awesome man so it's a hell of a deer dude yeah. great great mountain buck great freaking story dude like just the whole the whole thing man and i i love the fact that he took you on a on a trip to a bunch of cool spots to uh to check out and scout for next year that might be where that uh that three and a half year old that's something special he might be uh, spending some time in those haunts might be why you not maybe you know what i mean so yeah i'm curious to see what you get into in the uh in the upcoming uh in next year you know see if any of those uh any of those haunts pay off but uh Yep. dude. I got one last question before you. Before I let you. Before I let you get going, the okay. uh, so you have a uh, you got three tags to fill on on public land, and uh, your life depends on it. You've probably heard this question before. The uh, I have.
2: I was wondering if you were going to throw it out there.
1: So you gotta you gotta you gotta pick three guys to fill those tags. Your life depends on it. Who are the three guys you're picking? You can know them, not know them. They can be famous, not famous. Does, doesn't matter. Who are they?
2: That's a really tough one, Clint. Um
1: there's so many guys that get
2: it done every year and that I, you know, really look up to and have learned a lot of things from. That's a really hard decision. Um Uh I, I I definitely I definitely gotta go with Ryan Glitzky for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he, he's definitely one. I mean
1: Ryan's that a killer. dude
2: is he's he's just a genius at you know, he's a genius at breaking down terrain features and, you know, he's so confident, mm-hmm. you know, in his spots. I mean, you know, you listen to him talk on his Instagram and, you know, he's talking about all these spots that, that he's at. And, you know, he shows you how, you know, how he breaks them down and, you know, he's, I, I will kill a buck here. You know, I will kill a buck here.
1: Yeah. And I've had a dude is, to... He's,
2: he's a killer.
1: Yeah. I've had a chance to scout with him in the past. We did a trip together and he's just, he he's he's a good he's a killer man for sure.
2: Yeah. The other thing is, you know, he, he he's such a wealth of knowledge, but he's one of those guys that he's always trying to learn. He's never going to stop learning. I mean, he was at Bo's scouting camp. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dude's so good he could teach with Bo at his scouting camp. I mean, right? And he's still going there as a guest,
1: trying to learn. So yeah. he's one. He's of the ni- definitely he's, one. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, too, for sure.
2: Yeah. I, I talk with him from time to time and yeah, he's a, he's an unbelievable dude. So, uh, other one, I think I have to go with is, uh, probably Nathan killing. Yes. I agree. He yep. he's an, he's another killer. You know, I, I don't know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just know of him from listening to him on other podcasts and, you know, he's another one of those big woods guys. And another thing I like. About him, which is pretty badass, is you know he gets it done with a trad bow. Yes, <laughs> and you know he, dude, dude is just a killer. I also, you know, the way he breaks things down and some of the things he talks about, you know, is a little more outside of the box from some of these other people, and mm-hmm. and and I kind of agree with him on some of it too. Yep. So I'd probably have yep. to take him as well.
1: Okay, who's uh, number, th- number three? Survey says
2: number three. I mean, I guess I got to, I guess I got to get a Midwest guy on the team. Uh, you know, they're, they're Eastern guys. I I think i go with, uh, probably Ted Bright. Okay. You know Ted Bright. Yeah. I know Ted. You yeah. Ha- you've had him on the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, you know, he's Midwest guy and, you know, I really like Ted, you know, I watch his YouTube stuff and, you know, listen to him at podcasts over the years and, you know, he just. He's another one of those killers that just consecutively,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, gets it done on public land every year. So yeah. I think it'd be good to have a Midwest guy on the
1: team. So there you go. That sounds I'm like gonna take Ted. That sounds that sounds pretty. That sounds like a pretty good uh, a pretty good team. Sounds like he got a good a good uh, uh power forward. Sounds like he got a good center and a good point. So you're set. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. Nice. Well, cool, brother, man. I appreciate you coming on. Awesome story. Congrats on a killer buck. Um, you know, uh, have, uh, good luck to you whenever you're headed out of state, you know, wherever you end up, uh, going here the rest of the season with the rest of your season, hope you find success there as well. Before I let you go, let people know where they can find out more about you follow along with anything you have going on during hunting season or otherwise. All
2: right. Yeah. You can, uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is At Dylan Pavlik, D Y L A N P A V L I K, Uh, and also uh, you can follow me on my hunting page. I also have a hunting page. It's uh, uh, it's called Full Draw Brostaff. You know, I just started that page uh, last year, and you know, I'm I'm constantly uh, out in the woods hunting and fishing and doing anything outdoors, and I figured uh, I may as well bring the camera along, and you know show it to everyone and you know hope for it to you know get me out there and get me talking with other people and just be able to continue to learn more and more things uh in the industry so
1: awesome man. Uh, this are the
2: two places you can get me
1: awesome well i appreciate you coming on man good luck in the other hunts this year and uh let's make sure to stay in touch buddy
2: yeah. Heck yeah, Quinn. Hey, I, I really appreciate you having me. I was happy to be a first time offender on the show here.
1: <laughs> there you go. There's, there's no, there's no, there's no jail time. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, brother. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all.